Okay, so we have the numbers there and the eggs are ready. And guys, uh, welcome back to this week's Yawa. Egg roulette style. Egg roulette style. For you that don't know what egg roulette is, basically you have some hard-boiled eggs, some not hard-boiled eggs. And uh, what we're going to do with the twist of this is we're actually going to draw an egg that's numbered. It's associated with one of the questions that you all ask. And then after we answer the question, we will proceed to smash the egg on oh, our... After we answer the question? So you're not going to have to literally answer these questions with egg on your face? We're going to smash the egg on our face and then answer the question. <laughs> you get to go first so that we can see how this is all done. But anyway, thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks for your great questions. We got to dye some Easter eggs with our son Aiden for he, Easter. Yeah, he did a pretty <laughs> rad job. These are kind of uh, tie-dye-esque. Yeah. Uh, foam egg dye kit. It was awesome, especially for a little kid like that. So we hope you all had a happy Easter and hope you guys get some good information as well as a few laughs out of this episode of Yawa. This is your first time to our channel and our videos. Make sure and hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss any of the upcoming content. Thanks, guys, and we'll get started. Uh, this one feels good. Number eight. Dude. Oh, you're uh-huh. so lucky. <laughs> we're, we're putting those in here for egg salad later. Okay, so question number eight. Um, eight. Says, uh, Instagram question here, Brown Dog Boone. Who is your personal dog? Who do your personal dogs tend to gravitate to more? Or do each person have, each dog, do they each have their person? Now we know why I don't read. (laughs) Okay. So I would say that our dogs do definitely gravitate toward one or the other of us. We kind of have our dogs. And I think that comes down to who has put the most time, effort, and energy into training those dogs tend to bond with that individual more. Um, Which is why we say how important it is for everyone in the family to be involved in your dog's training so that they don't have the only one person that they tend to listen to. Absolutely. Our situation's a little different because we have like 10 dogs. So that isn't always easy to do where everybody's working with every puppy all the time. Plus we put out all these great puppy training videos and typically one of us is working with a puppy throughout that series. Yeah. So you see a little bit of that. Um, you know, uh, Vex is definitely my dog. Nix is definitely her dog. Quest is definitely my pup. More. Yeah, definitely. She, if there's an option, if we're hanging out there together, Quest is curled up by cat uh, every time. Um, and then I would say that Muddy is, is even though I did a majority of Muddy's training, she's pretty happy. Go she lucky. just loves everyone. Loves everyone. Yeah. Pretty much. So there is a little bit of that that you see. Um, Sprig, even though he's not technically our puppy, but Ethan's done all of his training and he definitely is Ethan's boy. Yeah. So you, you see that. Uh, you see that for sure. Great question. Next. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. What number? 11. 11. Can I answer it first before session? I don't believe so. And uh, the better off is to full bore this. Uh, one. Two. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Egg salad for you. Uh, number 11 from Instagram, 
St. Thompson 6886. Getting a new pup in a couple months. Take current GSP to local 45-acre field to free run daily. How long should we wait with new pup before bringing him there to walk around on leash? So that's a really good question. Uh, I have a question back for you. Uh, Is the 45-acre local field something that other dogs are running in, kind of like an off-leash dog park, or is it your own private property? Uh, The reason I ask that is, If it's someplace where a lot of dogs are congregating, I would recommend waiting until your puppy is at least 16 weeks old and fully vaccinated before you take them to someplace that they could potentially be exposed to parvo or distemper or something like that that they haven't been fully vaccinated for. Now, if it's your own field, take them from day one at eight weeks old. They can come out with you. They're not going to do a lot of running and getting lost. You can even let them off leash uh, so that they can get used to bouncing and running through tall grass and thick cover. That's something that we stress as part of socialization. Absolutely. Any new environment that your puppy can get used to is a great opportunity for them. So answer those questions for yourself and then go with what you think you should be able to do. Next. Number Nine. This one feels like I'm screwed. <laughs> nope. Egg salad. Okay. Uh, number nine says it's a Instagram question from Andrew Hotsman. Hotsman. My 13-week lab wants to play tug when retrieving any ideas. Well, I want to say, first of all, we actually utilize tug as a way to develop a good natural hold, but there's a specific way that you have to go about playing that game. Um, You don't just play tug forever and then let the puppy win. We try and incorporate tug as a, we play a little bit of tug, good, and then swing them more into like that healing position where we're ultimately going to want them to end up and then pet them, good dog, let them hold. And then you grab a hold of it again and you give just a little tug and which is going to stimulate them to bite down again and hold tight, good dog. And then you take it away from them, which when you have a 13 week old puppy, that's pretty easy. You just open their mouth and take it away. Um, As the puppy gets bigger, if you run into that, or those of you that are watching that have dogs a little older, maybe struggling with the same thing. um, We would just a lot of times reach down and pick up on their flank. We call that flanking them. Um, and it takes very, very minimal to no pressure. You grab there and it pulls their focus and they'll go, huh, what was that? And drop whatever was in their mouth and a few reps of that. And it pretty much when you go to take something, they just give it up to you. And so, um, but being able to utilize that tug mentality is it's a pretty powerful way to say, build a stronger hold, natural hold. Um, so that ultimately you may not have to do more formal training work, uh, on retrieving down the road. Great question. Next. (laughs) Number 20. Number 20, 20, which is the last question that we thought we'd have time for today. So, oh gosh, I'm really hoping that I luck out and don't get a single raw egg smashed on my face. So come on, karma. Oh, thank goodness. I'm so lucky so far. From Facebook, Sam Nichols. She's like smashing those with so much force. I think I'm going to get like splash you, back from the side. You said to do it with authority. I feel like I'm getting a red spot on my <laughs> you have a You have a spot right in the middle of your Okay, forehead. I'm going to do it with a little less gusto next time. No, no, no. Keep it up. It, the gusto's good. <laughs> from Sam Nickel from Facebook. Hey, guys. Big fan of the videos. I'm glad you like them. 
I have a 12-week-old golden retriever, Otis. Is it okay to let him wrestle and rough play with his puppy friends when they come over? We also have cats and a small breed, and he also tries to roughhouse with them in the same way. Will he grow out of this, or will this become a pattern? This is a really good question, and I think you probably already have an idea of what our answer is going to be, but anything your dog's doing, they're conditioning themselves to. So you ask, is this something he's going to grow out of or it will become a pattern? It's definitely going to become a pattern. Mm -hmm. Um, And you also have a cat and some small breed dogs. So we don't want them thinking that the way that they're playing with their other puppy friends is an okay way to interact with any other animal, whether it's a cat or another dog, a chicken, a child, anything like that, um, that they see as an equal or a playmate. We definitely don't want that to happen. Um, So I would actually say... At 12 weeks old, your puppy can do less of the crazy roughhouse play with their little friends that come over um, and work on more of the obedience and structured training at this point. Um, And they can play, but it has to be monitored and it has to be structured so that it doesn't escalate because we definitely don't want the puppies to roughhouse too much, especially once they get to a certain age or the puppies that they're playing with finally want to say that's enough. That's not what we want. We don't want the puppies to interact with each other and say, I'm going to put you in your place when I'm tired of the way you're playing with me, because that's typically what's going to end up happening. Somebody's going to get tired of playing too rough and they're going to snap. They're going to growl. um, They're going to pin another puppy down and it could escalate to a full on dog fight, even at 12 weeks old. So I would say nip this type of behavior in the bud and let them play supervised in proper play mentality. Absolutely. I do want to preface the fact that um, there are 20 total eggs in here for the 20 total questions, and I believe either six or seven of them. Six, I think. Six are raw eggs. The rest We could are have not. a seventh surprise in there. We, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure it was six. Because so far, we've both lucked out, and we it's haven't- It's not going to last. But there are actually quite a few raw eggs in there. Okay. This one. Feels like a loser for sure. It's, oh. You can't feel that. Yeah, I've already committed. I can't put it back. I don't think you can feel it though. Can you feel? I don't know. Number three. I don't think so. (sighs) Lucky number three. That's my favorite number. This this doesn't feel lucky though. Lucky for me, maybe. was lucky for me still my my lucky number there you go that's not egg salad i got that just for you babe okay that that was a whole lot more egg on my pants than i kind of thought was gonna happen (laughs) (laughs) hey babe you got a little egg on your face (laughs) Okay. Well, now I don't understand why we uh, decided to do this. I was just hoping to watch Cat smash eggs in her face. Question number three. (sighs) From Instagram, it says, uh, Tyler Bachman, can you give me a rough outline of a training guide from eight weeks weeks to a year old? This is a great question. It's like sticky and it's starting to dry. Okay. It's a great question, and our rough outline actually is available already in the form of video playlists. If you've seen any of our videos here on YouTube or some of our training videos, 
If you go to standingstonekennels.com slash links, throw that up right here um, so that everybody can see that, it's going to say Rogue Series and Quest Series, and that actually shows you from eight weeks to approximately, well, killing birds over them for sure, um, in order. And for Rogue, definitely through Woe Training. um, Yep. So... So everything that you need, yeah, everything that you need for about the first year, and they are step-by-step, how, my, it's all drying on my face, step-by-step, the order that we did them in, and uh, kind of the, the progression of once you've got this down, go to the next step, and that's how you should follow those videos along. Yeah, you they're shouldn't not look at the ages, because sometimes they have ages, ages listed. But. Yep, but if you have a dog now that's eight weeks, or you have a dog that's five months, or eight months, you can start at square one. The more your dog knows, the faster they're going to move through the steps. And then just follow along with the the series that seems to best fit your dog's personality. Because Quest and Rogue, both very, very nice dogs, but have very different personalities. So check those out, um, standingstonekennels.com slash links. And that's step-by-step the orders that we do. So definitely do that. Then the other thing that you can look at is our Patreon page. Gives you the ability to basically go hand in hand with those videos so that you can get direct feedback for the questions that you have along the way. Yes. Good question. All right. Especially because it ended up with an egg in Ethan's face. Mm. Number 12. I think that this one's an unlucky one. (laughs) (laughs) You definitely kept, that was like, you have, you had, <laughs> see, I was trying to get you to fully commit so that you could. I did, uh, and I caught it in my hand. It like bounced off my forehead into my hand. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Very well, nice. I think that my forehead's going to be bruised. I've been hitting myself way too hard with these. Okay. Ow, ow, well, ow. What, what number was that even? 12. Was it 12 or is it 11? It was 12. Okay. I remember. Okie dokie. 12. <laughs> From Instagram, uh, JetG86. Hi, both. We're from Holland and have been following you guys on YouTube for quite some time now. Awesome. Hello, Holland. We have a five-month-old GSP, Carlos. He is barking a lot when he is excited or when he has to wait his turn in a small group training situation. How can we address this? And it's not the same as alarm barking. Uh, I wouldn't have thought based on your explanation that it was alarm barking. It sounds like he's excited. He is a a dog that wants to work. Um, and there's definitely some dogs out there, even at five months that say, Hey, it needs to be my turn. They're a little more demanding. They always want their turn. They want to train, train, train. So I would say that, um, we want to recognize that this is becoming a pattern and hopefully be able to interrupt that pattern so that it doesn't become a complete habit. And we need to teach him some patience. So um, one of the things that we do, especially in more advanced training, is that we deny puppies things when they're barking. So we don't give in to that, especially as we've seen in some of our advanced training videos um, of denials when it comes to retrieving. That's considered negative punishment, where they don't get something. And not necessarily am I recommending that with your five-month-old puppy, but If he's barking in his crate or on a stakeout while the other dogs are training, I don't necessarily know what your exact situation is, but I would definitely say that 
those are the situations where you don't give in and say, oh, well, he's barking. He wants it to be his turn. So let's give him his turn. Um, something that we actually utilize in the kennel during situations like this, because we've got a kennel situation. There's a lot of dogs that are wanting to train and are very motivated, um, but they can't all train at the same time because they have to take their turn and they have to wait and they have to be patient is we actually utilize a treadmill. Yeah. We've talked about that in a couple other videos, how we set up using a treadmill and why it works, but it's mentally stimulating for the dog as well as physically stimulating. And dogs typically can only think about one thing at a time. So if they're focused and working on their treadmill work and can't think about what they're missing out on another training session. Um, the only other thing I can say is if you watch our videos, if you kind of refer back to quest series in the beginning of her training, she did a lot of um, barking and kind of mouthy behavior. Um, and we showed firsthand how we worked through that when it was just her involved. Now, what Kat's talking about works more for the situations where you're talking about in small group training sessions, but, um, when it's just you and him and he wants your attention, he wants something, or he's trying to tell you that, um, definitely kind of referred to the beginning part of quest series. And you can see how we worked through that firsthand. So awesome. It is my turn. It is your turn. Don't try and get out of it. Lucky number 13. Ooh. I don't think it's lucky. Lucky for me, maybe. Oh, <laughs> uh. oh on the floor. Okay. I have a lot of egg in my nether regions there. <laughs> And now on the floor, so don't put your foot in it. Okay. Rex. Where's Grandpa Rex, Rex when you need him? Want a little raw egg, All buddy? Right. Lucky number 13. Thank you, Bully Love One. I have a poodle pointer. I'm guessing that's what PP stands for. PP. That just turned a year old. She has been fun to train, and I have followed all of your videos. She has been trained with the collar to retrieve here and kennel. But as we start to work on retrieving with birds and fun things. She doesn't want to bring them back. She caught a baby squirrel the other day and didn't have her collar on and she would not bring it back no matter what. I don't even know with her collar on if she would have brought it back. She knew it was something good and she didn't want to give it up. I need help on how to get her to bring things back that are not just a bumper. She will, of course, bring those back every time. Thanks in advance. So this is a great question. And we talk about often, I have egg everywhere. We talk about often that uh, retrieving is basically two things, a dog that wants to pick something up and carry it around and a dog that's very consistent and good at coming back to you. So picking it up and wanting to hold it and then recall. So it sounds like in your situation, you have a bold and confident dog that knows what she wants and is going to do her best to keep it that way or keep the things she wants. Um, it sounds like you just need to put some more emphasis on recall. And make sure that that is very, 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 very solid. And then don't put her in situations where you could end up, you know, like you said, she was running around without her collar on and caught a squirrel, which is insane. But um, I know that dogs can do that sometimes. So trying to make sure that she's in situations. And ultimately, you know, no um, owner or no dog is perfect. So you're going to have situations like that and you just deal with them the best that you can when they arise, but try and set yourself up and your dog self up for success by being prepared um, 
utilize the e-collar when you're in those uncontrolled environments as much as is physically possible. The more emphasis that you put on recall, the better off this is all going to get. The more so, conditioned that they're going to become. So when you've got the collar on, use it every time you recall them. Don't just have it there so you're like, well, if she decides not to come, then I can use it. Um, if you can really condition that to happen every time you say your dog's name, she, okay, don't she. have her name. Uh, here, press that button until she gets all the way to you. That way, in these situations where she doesn't have the e-collar on, which that's ultimately going to happen every once in a while. Like Ethan said, we're not perfect. Every situation doesn't end up perfect. Um, that way though, hopefully she'll be so conditioned and it's so ingrained and has become such a default that she's like, Oh, I have to come. Um, even if she doesn't have that collar on. Try and utilize the collar more as a way to talk to the dog than a way to just correct them when they're doing something that's not right. And if you get into that response, um, you know, it's going to build a lot more consistent response all the way around. So. And just a little trick. If you don't have a collar on and you're really trying to get her from you, to you with something she's not supposed to necessarily have is one recommendation would be don't get after her about having something she's not supposed to have. Um, we don't want her to think she's in trouble. Otherwise, why would she want to bring it to you and come exactly. to you? Um, so if you do get her to come to you, praise her, tell you, tell her what a good job she did, how good of a girl she is. Even if it's a shoe or a squirrel or whatever, good job. You brought this to me. That's amazing. Praise her, pet her a little bit, let her keep holding on to it for a little bit. As long as she's not mouthing and destroying it. Um, but then take it from her. And then the other thing that I can say is if you're still trying to get her to come all the way to you, if you can actually, what we do is called close the gap. A lot of times the dogs will come near you, but they're just parading around, showing off their prize, going, no, 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 look what I've got. And you want them to come all the way into you. So if you take a few steps back from them, they're going to keep coming closer and closer because they're like, hey, hey, I'm trying to show you this. Um, and then you can take that half a step forward to meet them um, by closing that gap. That's perfect. Um, guys, I think that's all we've got time for in part one. We will uh, be back in part two. We've got lots more eggs for Ethan to smash on his face. Three, there's at least three or four more. There's three or four more smashers in there. So we will be back shortly. Thanks again for watching, and we will see you in a minute. Crotchal zone. <sighs> Your crotchal zone. <laughs> Isn't that the anatom anatomical correct way of referring to it? I, I believe so. I, I'm not a scientist, but or a doctor. <laughs> or a You're just a dog trainer. If you guys uh, missed the first episode of this week you should probably go back and watch that you get to see me smash a couple eggs on my face we are taking a slightly different and seasonal approach to this with a game of egg roulette this is part two of this week's yawa where we are randomly pulling eggs from the bucket a third of which are raw the rest are hard boiled and we are smashing them on our face and then answering your questions so if this is your first time first time to the channel guys Make sure and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our upcoming videos. And we will get started. After you. I just answered. <laughs> I thought he might have forgotten after the break. No. No, 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 no. 19. 19. Okie dokie dokie.
I don't want to do this. Uh, flat hand. You did this sucker flat hand. No more catching eggs. She like totally, she's like, oh, it broke. <laughs> hey, I didn't know there was a technique. I've never done this game before. I'm just that good at it. And my forehead is getting sore, so. One. The egg kind of dries in it. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I need to stop, like, full on hurting nope. my face. Keep, keep full on and you know, oh. you're going to give yourself an egg. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get a goose egg from these chicken eggs. Uh-huh. Okay, 19. Now we're answering questions. On Facebook from Sam Nickel. Are squeaker toys a hard no? My pup has several and loves them, but is starting to build the habit of squeaking them all the time. He doesn't do this with bumpers, just his toys. Again, I think you had asked a question in part one um, about things becoming a pattern and a habit. I would say the same thing is true for the squeaker toys. We say squeaker toys are a hard no, especially when a dog starts repetitively and consistently squeaking them. Absolutely. Finding squeaky toys, or excuse me, finding puppy toys, dog toys that don't have squeakers is difficult, but it It can be done. And if you're struggling to find some, um, rope toys are always a good alternative to squeaker toys. But anything that your dog's doing, they are conditioning themselves to. So if they're squeaking that squeaky toy, they're conditioning themselves to playing with toys and munching and crunching them that can easily relate over to bumpers. Eventually birds, when they start doing bird retrieves, they're going to recognize that, Hey, birds squeak too. And then it's going to become a really hard mouth munching game. Um, they do squeak. And we did a video on this Yes. that show, basically I've got a, a dead bird and I just go squeak, 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 squeak. Yep. Which is what we're trying to prevent. The dogs that we see that get access to tennis balls and squeaky toys and get really good at that have extremely hard mouths later in life. And a lot of rolling and mouthing with those tennis balls is what we see a lot of times. Yep. So hard no on the squeakers, especially once they've found the squeak and they're down to just squeak, squeak, squeak everywhere they go. Yes. Great question. (sighs) This one. Mm -hmm. 15. Aha! Egg salad. Egg salad. (laughs) I thought for sure I was going down again. All right. It says, uh, I believe this is a Facebook question. Um, Clint Isles says, I am a first-time trainer and have a one-year-old Boykin. Having a blast training her, making some mistakes along the way. Hey, we all do. But making progress overall, I am training her to be a family house dog, waterfowl retrieving, and upland bird flushing dog. She has a strong prey drive and is an enthusiastic retriever. But her delivery to hand needs some serious cleanup. I've been watching your videos on the train to retrieve, and I'm ready to put her through the training process. Two questions. Do I hold off on regular retrieving exercises while doing the train to retrieve work? And what is an average amount of expected time for the train to retrieve exercises from start to finish? Thanks for all the content, and it has been extremely helpful. Well, thank you uh, for the question. Thanks for the background. It helps us to give a better answer to your question. Question one, um, absolutely. As soon as we start formal retrieving work, uh, everything else stops. Everything. There's no bird work involved. There's no potential opportunities for retrieving. There's no additional obedience sessions. Everything else stops. You come out, you do your training session, and then no other training happens. And the reason for that is 
the formal retrieving work is just that. I mean, you kind of graduate from all of the puppy stuff that we do. You would think of that as your beginning K through 12 kind of schooling, maybe, or even just elementary school where stuff is fun, you're encouraging learning. But then when you get into the more of these formal processes, not that they have to be horrible, but they definitely move away from the fun category. It's much more structured. It takes a lot of mental focus. And there's a reason for that. People ask us, well, and they see, well, we want to encourage and we want it to still be fun and enjoyable. And it doesn't need to be overly fun and enjoyable. Not that we want them to hate it, but you need to have the, the structure. And we think of this more as like a college setting. Those of you that went to college or know, understand how that works, it's more, um, this is the task, do it and learn because it's ultimately going to be part of your job. Now, this is a job that all of our dogs absolutely love and getting through this formal work is, um, is important because of the fact that we're trying to take that sloppy retrieve and make it no longer an option to have that sloppy retrieve. And you have to be able to say, no, fetch, hold, and keep a more, this is the way it has to be kind of mentality. So definitely stop everything else because when you get into that work, um, there may be a time and but not by May, there's going to be a time where you're going to get some pushback. And if you um, are doing other sessions and doing other games and doing all of these other things around the sessions, um, it's possible for your dog to just hold out and say, well, I'm just going to say, I don't want to do this because I know later this afternoon, we're going to go to the dog park and run and play and have fun. And I'll just wait until then. Yeah. So definitely Holding out for the good stuff. Yep. I just wanted to mention too, people sometimes want to make these sessions really exciting, like you were saying, and that can actually set your dog up for failure because what we've seen is you get your dog yeah, excited exactly. and then they drop the bumper they or make mistake, they make a mistake. Yes. That they wouldn't have had to have that correction had you not overamped them and got them excited. So we always say calm hands, make a calm dog, interacting calmly with your dog so that you can set them up for success and Absolutely. not actually put them up for failure. So the second part of that question is approximately how long when we are doing it and we are full-time dog trainers that are professionals and everything else, I'm going to give you, if you were to send her to us, I would give you an estimate of eight weeks. So I would expect that you're going to be in the eight to 12 week range doing the training yourself. Now you may be able to stay in that eight week range because part of that timing is um, around us building a bond with your dog and some evaluation. So there is some play with that, but I would say you're probably looking at a minimum of eight weeks to have a solid foundation um, and understanding of the process. Now, the key to the whole thing, and it sounds like you already have, you said you've watched the videos, you need to know where you're going. If you don't have an understanding of this is the expectation of this step and my next step is going to be this, then you won't know when your dog is actually ready to move on to the next step. And if you end up over-repping things, you can end up causing more problems than it's worth. The next thing that I can say with this is Patreon is going to be a huge resource for this. There are so many small mistakes that you can make as a handler, especially first-time handler, that I can see or Kat can see very easily that can help guide you in the right direction. So that's patreon.com slash standingstonekennels. And 
you can video your sessions, post them, we'll give you direct feedback on feedback on what you're doing, what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, where you need to be going from there. When you're ready for the next step, if you're making those mistakes of over-repping, yep. um, or if you're making your session too long, that's, that's a number say. one mistake that we see, even on Patreon with people that you are doing a mind. trained retrieve process, is they're trying to do a 30-minute trained retrieve session. Well, oh. first of all, we just talked about this is formal. It takes a lot of mental focus. Um, it's not the most enjoyable process that your dog's going through. So why drag that out? As well as typically, you're not making any more progress in 30 minutes. Uh, our typical sessions, 5 yeah. to 10 minutes, 15 minutes maximum. And that's a yeah, huge I would, maximum. I would say I are on the side of a five-minute session on average. And um, if we've got time to maybe squeeze two of those in in a day, it's good. But it all depends on the dog and their personality. Now, that's in the beginning stages toward the end of the, you're going to have some longer sessions where you have to kind of work through some things. But um, what Kat was saying, you'll see as there's a big bell curve with um, your progress that you're going to make in the length of those sessions. It's going to be making, 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 and then it's going to dissipate. You're no longer making progress. You're just fixing all of these things and you're working through reps. So keep the session short, know where you're going to be going next and reach out to us for additional help throughout the process. Great question. Cat's turn. <sighs> oh, oh, don't pick that one. Don't pick number one. I no, already no, did. No. Do you do you specifically know this is a raw egg or what? <laughs> oh goody. Number one. Here we go. One, two, three. Two and a half. Four. Three. How many are you count to here? Ten? Uh, <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Ow. Okay. okay. One. From Instagram. From Dave underscore, or no, Davo underscore S. How soon can you introduce an e-collar? Well, that depends on your groundwork that you've done. Typically, if we're doing a puppy series like you have mentioned before, standingstonekennels.com slash links has our playlists of our puppy series. And if we start at eight weeks, I typically say I can introduce an e-collar to start repping um, and conditioning the collar conditioning to recall between 12 and 16 weeks that varies based on the dog, what yeah. they're ready for and the groundwork that we've done. So I want to say that when you can start is more determinant on what you've done ahead of time and how proficient your dog is at those recall reps in, with positive reinforcement in an enclosed environment that's controlled, then, oh, your puppy's 12 weeks old. Go ahead and throw an e-collar on them because it's not about an age. It's about their prerequisites um, to get there. Yep. I do want to make one point because this has come up a lot recently. When starting collar conditioning with your dog, we recommend using Vibrate. And Vibrate can be a pretty powerful tool. And I've been hearing a lot more frequently people's dogs are freaking out when they feel the Vibrate the first time. They don't know what's going on and they have this horrible reaction to it. And everybody's response thus far, because they've not understood what's going on or what to do from there, has been to say, well, I'll let the vibrate go and you get out of this for whatever you did. Well, that right there works just like any of our other reinforcement-based reinforcement training. training. And it's a very powerful way for them to educate themselves because usually it happens once and then they go, well, that was really weird. Let's uh, take the collar off or try a session later or do all these things. Then they do the same thing, sometimes even worse. And then boom, the collar shuts off again because you don't know. You're confused. You don't know what's happening with the dog and why it doesn't look like it did in our videos. And 
that is setting up for more failure. So just on a precautionary side, and I'm actually going to shoot a video that talks about this more specifically, but um, flipping a leash to your puppy and making sure that you're only asking cues that they understand completely and then re and, and holding vibrate down and making sure that we finish that, even if that requires a lot of help. So we typically try and introduce the e-collar by building momentum first as well, doing some positive reinforcement, clicker and treat reps first, and then overlaying that when we start introducing the collar and then those treats and those positive reinforcement training goes away as we continue conditioning that, um, negative reinforcement collar conditioning with the collar, um, and a clip lead or even a check cord to help keep your puppy moving in your direction instead of them going, Oh, I'm going to hide over in this corner. And then you have to go get them. Well, if you're attached to them with that lead or that check cord, you can give them just some slight tugs, kind of like you're reeling them in on a fishing pole. Um, but try and just tug, get their feet moving so that they can decide to make that finish recall instead of you reeling them, pulling them and they're resisting it the whole way in. It's a very valid point about, um, the hiding in a corner or hiding. And that's what it seems like people are doing these sessions in their house where they've been doing their obedience sessions. There's a lot more things for the dog to hide around. So if you can get maybe in a bigger open garage or just even outside in a fenced in backyard, as long as you have a good understanding and a hold of them, you can work with less distractions that way. So, and if we've been getting a lot of questions about this and it's been coming up a lot, we it's need to probably going to come in to a, I just have to find the right dog. That's going to have that response so that we yeah. can truly show that. So, right. So we don't see it very often, which is why it's surprising to me how many times it's popping up. But we'll definitely get back with you on that. Thank you for the question. I don't want to do this again. All right. Question number two. Oh, we're going in order. <sighs> I have been so lucky. I've only gotten one raw egg in the face. Ethan? Not so much. Uh, if you will notice, though, it is my handwriting on the eggs. You think that gives me an advantage? I don't even care about wiping this one off. <laughs> Danica Noel, what is the Instagram question? What is the best way to train down with a food motiva- motivated puppy? Um, it's a great question. You got a little something there. Um, I would say that our go-to with teaching down, and especially if you have a food motivated puppy would be free shaping, um, or shaping behaviors is typically how we refer to it. You are going to basically stand and wait until you see the behavior you're looking for and have good timing and mark the behavior. So it can take a while. Yes. A paper towel would be awesome. Thank you. Uh, It can take a little while and you will see exponential growth or shrinkage, if you will, in that amount of time as you get more marks. But you would set up an environment with minimal distractions and you're doing your session and then you stand and wait. And the puppy is food motivated like you're talking about. They're going to start doing all of these things to try and figure out how to get your attention that may be barking, maybe jumping on you. It may be going sitting and sitting for longer and longer periods of time. But eventually... And I guarantee you it will happen if you stand and wait long enough. This may take 30 minutes. The puppy will go lay down. Mark that. Reward them. And your timing has to be 
on the spot because that takes a, a clear snapshot or picture of what the dog just did and that's what they're getting rewarded for. So then the next time you just stand and wait again. No real... Um, no luring them, no baiting them, no physically manipulating their body. No input from you really at all. And that next time, if it took 30 minutes the first time, I'm guessing it's going to take in the vicinity of 15 minutes the next time. And then after that, it'll be seven, then three, then seven seconds. Then they'll just be like laying down, laying down, laying down. And then they won't even get up anymore. They're just like, I get it. I lay here. I get rewarded. And then you have to get them moving. And once you start seeing that consistent of a, of a response, you can then you can introduce the cue. a cue. Yep. So uh, free, shaping, that free, would be the free best Free shaping way. is really powerful because the dog is thinking and learning for themselves. We're not, like we said, luring them or physically manipulating them into that position. So they're doing it for themselves. And those type of behaviors that a dog does for themselves just become that much more um, defaulted. They just understand that behavior that much more. Uh, One little tidbit that I'd add on there is if you get your dog on a dog bed and then just leave them. Well, they're going to typically lay down and get comfortable on that dog bed pretty quickly. A little faster. So you yeah. can free shape that laying down behavior on the dog bed first and then eliminate the dog bed after you're getting a really consistent response. And then that will carry over onto the ground as well. Okay. So, good question. Great question. Next. Next. Uh, uh, you touched it. Five. Commit. Five. That means I count to five before I smash it on my face. One, two, three, four, five. Egg salad. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just literally picking the egg up that's on the top. I'm that. I'm that lucky. Uh huh. I don't think luck has anything to do with this. From Instagram, Jax Haugard. How do I prevent my dog from getting into people's chicken coops and stealing their chickens? We got a chicken thief on our hands. Um. First of all, is your is your dog's name Fox? <laughs> First of all, it sounds like your dog's having a little bit of unsupervised out time. Uh, one, how many people are there? Chicken? How many people have chicken coops around you? I don't know. I'm saying that you probably need to give your dog less zero unsupervised out time. And when they are out, having an e-collar on them for recall purposes. So if they start headed over to the neighbors to steal their chickens, you can say, ah, ah, fox, get your butt back over here. Here. Um, You could also set up an electronic fence so that your dog can't leave your yard if you can't give them that supervised attention all the time. Um, As well as keep in mind dogs. I don't know what kind of dog, but dogs are dogs. Um, They are prey-driven animals, even the little ones. And they are going to do what's natural to them, which is find, steal, kill chickens. So um, if you can prevent them from getting the opportunity to go to those chicken coops, that would be your best bet. Yeah, this does come down to um, if the the reinforcement type behaviors or preventative measures aren't as possible, you do need to come into some form of breaking training. And we don't talk about that very often, but this is one that um, breaking training is going to be better than is going to be a better option. And that might even just involve like the hot wire around their chicken coops or something to that effect, which can make the correction itself and teach them, hey, stay away from the dang chickens. I think we have time for one more. One more. One more. 
I think I'm screwed again. And then that, I, I think. I don't know. I, I, I've lost count. Just smash it. Uh, I can oh. do it for you. You want to do it for me? Yeah. I hope this doesn't hurt you as much as it usually hurts me. Thanks, that honey. Was, that was awesome. I want to do that again. <laughs> uh, what question was it? I think it was 18. Yep, yep. Okay. Um, Tori and Cubs. This is a, looks like Facebook question. No, Instagram question, maybe. I don't know. Getting a new puppy during my spring and summer off. I'll go back to teaching in the fall. Do I slowly work him? <laughs> into the amount of hours he'll have to be in the crate for the fall or treat him like I'm already working and it's getting in my eyes now. <laughs> and uh, and crate him while I'm home. So you're basically asking, should you be preparing your puppy for... I've got a little... It's on the microphone, it looks like. Um, you're asking if you should be preparing your dog for the hours uh, that you'll be ha- that you'll be having in the fall. Um, and I would say that this is very important that if the norm is going to be, and even if the norm is not going to be that you're going to be gone, um, it's good for the dogs to learn crate time and have that alone time in their own space and environment. And especially as it sounds like you were going to be going back to work, they're going to need to know this now, starting with smaller amounts of time because it is a puppy. This is a huge advantage to you because it's going to help with your potty training and everything else. But Yes, definitely incorporate crate uh, crate training time into your daily routine uh, so that your dog is better prepared when you go back to work in the fall. Yes, a lot of people are getting to spend a ton of time home right now, and their dogs are going to get used to that. Anything you're doing consistently with your dog, they're getting conditioned to. So going back to work whenever all this craziness wears off and we can get back to work at our, you know, offices and things like that, your dog's going to have a rude awakening if all they get is out time constantly right now. So Ethan's doing a little math over here. One, seeing. two, three, four, I think five. You've had one and yep. I've had four. So I'm there's ahead. one more lucky one in there for me Maybe. or Ethan next time. I think there's just five. So that is a great question. Um, guys, that's all we've got time for this time. I am the guy with the pink gun. I'm Kat, the dog trainer. And we'll be back shortly to smash more eggs on our face while we answer your questions. Oh, and here comes Rex to clean up the egg on the floor. Oh. Hey guys, this is, uh, yeah, perfect timing, Rex. Uh, Welcome back to part three of this week's Yawa. We've taken a slightly different approach where we uh, numbered some eggs to play a little game of egg roulette while we answer your questions. As you can see, I have lost several times and... um, I just have a red mark from smashing eggs on my face that were hard boiled. (laughs) We have at least, I believe there is one, maybe two more raw eggs in there. Um, As we finish out here, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We will have plenty of time to answer your seven remaining questions. 
Um, guys, if this is the first time to the channel, you should definitely check out the previous two videos. You could watch me smash egg in my face. And then Kat and also I actually smash an egg in my face. Um, but it's, it's pretty humorous. And we had a lot of great questions. This is your first time to the channel. Hit the subscribe button. You all know what to do. That way you don't miss any of our upcoming videos. And I believe is it, it's my turn to go it's first. It's Kat's turn to get started. Well, I hope you guys all had a happy Easter. We sure did. It was Aiden's first time decorating these lovely Easter eggs. So Wait, 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 wait. Do I get a smash one on your forehead? No. You'll, I already hurt myself enough. Okay. You can go. I'll, huh. do, I'll do your last one for you. One, two, three, four. Egg, egg salad. salad. <laughs> what number was it? Four. Oh. Oh, that's it. That's because that's how many you counted. Yeah. Too. Got yeah. it. From Instagram. Ouch. Michael underscore weed underscore three. Which belly collars do you guys use for woe training? Thanks in advance. Love your videos. Well, thank you, Michael. Thanks for uh, being a fan. We actually use DT Systems H20 1820 collars. When we use um, a belly collar for woe training, it's got a long collar strap. It can have two collars synced to the same transmitter. Well, three in total, but you get that minimum of... Yeah, it can have three, but we're using the two when we're doing woe training. So we have a neck collar and the belly collar, which allows us to continue doing recall with the neck collar while they're learning this process. Um, the belly collar just for woe training. And then once we're starting to transition that... Um, understanding to their neck, we can toggle back and forth really simply, um, and it allows us to make that connection for the dog really easy. So that was a great question. It was a really good question. Awesome. Uh, why don't you pick an egg for me? You're way luckier than I am. Oh. No, just pick the one that's on top, right? Ten. Ten. So I have to count to ten before I smash this? No, this that's my method. This definitely feels like a raw egg. I've gotten pretty good at finding them. I know <laughs> what have. this feels like. Good, good. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, egg salad. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I just go for it, baby. So have um, I. It says... I do have a lump. I have a bruised lump on my forehead. I need a raw egg to, like, soften Balance this up it out. a little yeah. bit. Um, Andrew Hine, it says, your easy lead immediately helped our seven-month-old GSB not to pull. That's what it's but uh, he stops frequently to paw at the leash. I apply a little pressure to lift his head when he does this. It hasn't stopped him from trying it again. Any thoughts on how to get him to ignore the lead? Okay, I'm going to say, first of all, you are probably doing something wrong. Now, I don't mean that uh, in, a, in a bad way. Just the fact that a lot of people are making some small mistakes that uh, can make a big difference on how well your dog's going to take to the leash. I'm going to walk through the steps very briefly and then say watch our most recent video. It'll be coming out really soon. It should be coming out very soon. We actually did a video to show, to answer this the because a lot of The common mistakes people, people are making. Yeah, I think we called it the three, three or four. Three common mistakes. Most, yeah, so make sure you're subscribed. You'll get a notification. And turn on the, hit the bell, turn notifications on. Then you'll get a notification that the video came out. Um, but we show all of these steps. Basically, it comes down to making sure you have the leash um, put on properly, which is going to involve slipping off the outside. If you're healing on the left or the right, you should have the ring attached to the portion next to you, the slip portion going off the outside of their neck. This is going to make sure that you get a good release, um, which is important for timing. Then once you have it flipped over with their muzzle, the number one mistake that we see with that is that people continue to apply a little bit of pressure. 
And if you have constant pressure on that, it feels uncomfortable. That's how it works. The dog is going to be pawing at it to get it off or to get it stopped. So once you have it cinched up tight, you need to make sure and drop your hand and give enough where you see that release. And then it's going to be a lot more comfortable for the dogs to walk. And they can learn that pressure on means stop pulling. Pressure off means I'm good to go walking. The next is it sounds like you are doing a decent job with making a small correction when he starts trying to paw at it. But just make sure that the correction is fairly, um, let's go sharp, not long. So you want it to be a small pop like, hey, so that it's pressure on and off again. That's how they're going to learn. If you have a constant long pull, it's only going to make it more uncomfortable, which is going to encourage more pawing. Um, if you're doing those three things, it should really help. And then definitely keep an eye out for that video. It'll go over all of those things again. And if you're still having questions or still unsure of what we're talking about or what you might be doing wrong, um, Patreon is a really good opportunity for you to go on, become a patron, and then shoot a video of what's going video. on, why your puppy's pulling and pawing at that easy lead over their muzzle. We can review that and then say, oh, this is the slight mistake you're making. Yep. Our uh, most powerful tool that we can offer you all is our ability to read dogs in training situations. We can't do that if we can't see them. So check it out, patreon.com slash standing stone kennels. Six. Six. Okie dokie. I don't want to do this. Real this is, like, this got to be some kind of fancy facial thing. Smash egg all over your face, let it dry. Egg salad. Ah. Ow, ow, ow. It hurts. I'm going to have a bruise here for the next Yawa. <laughs> okay. Instagram. Moto for life 9928. Cool. Hi, I'm a 14 year old and I'm looking to buy my first bird dog, but I don't know what to get. This is awesome. Great question. Um, it's really cool that you're thinking ahead and going, what do I want to get out of my first dog? Um, and you want a bird dog. So the first question you need to ask yourself is, do you want a flusher or do you want a pointing dog? So ask that question. And then once you've made your decision, if you want a flushing dog, there's lots of great breeds out there. Labs, English Cockers, Boykin Spaniels, uh, Golden Retrievers, lots of options. Mm -hmm. If you decide you want a pointing breed, um, you can look at short hairs, Weimaraners, English Setters, English Pointers. There's tons of options out there as well. Um, so once you decide flusher or pointer, then you can look at researching specific breeds. Um, I would say too, to make sure that when you're looking for a dog, we've talked about this in the past, um, and you're picking a breeder, make sure that you're comfortable with the breeder. Make sure you're asking the breeder what kind of hunting they do with their dog, what kind of um, you know, family dog that the parents are of the puppies you'd be looking at getting are. Do they live in the house? Do they settle down? Are they quiet? Are they calm? So that you can make sure that whatever puppy you pick is going to have the same traits that you're going to want out of a dog that you live with. So um, those would be a really good place to start as well as we've got a couple other videos on our YouTube channel that talk about how to pick a puppy and how to pick a breeder. Great question. Thanks for being a fan. All right. All you, babe. There's one more raw one in there. And I actually kind of want to get it because my head hurts. I want to have the raw one because my oh, face yeah, is I sore. I would be glad for you to have the raw one. Okay, question number seven. Egg mm -hmm. salad. I can imagine smashing all those eggs on your head. I've literally hurt. only had one raw one. One thing that you um, 
uh, sorry, Instagram question, C.T. Bowman. One thing that you know now about dog training that you wish you had known before. Hmm. That is a... That's a really good question. And it's hard to say just one thing. I would say that um, I... All right, I think I've got a really good answer for this. When I initially started, I got a dog, just found a dog and went, if I put in the time, effort, and energy... This dog will be whatever and do whatever I train it to do, period. And that was the mentality that I went into training my first dog. And crazy I learned- Crazy Sammy. Crazy Sammy. Um, I, I learned pretty quickly that that was not the case. Um, not all dogs are created equal and breeding programs are important. The things that you're putting into programs are important. Now, if you put enough time, effort, and energy, I mean, she turned out to be a great dog, but- Three years later. But it took a lot. And starting with a, a dog that's bred specifically for the task you're looking for, it's like when people contact us and say, can I train a rat terrier to be a pointing dog? It's like, uh, what? Sure, I guess. But it's going to be hard. And why not just get a pointing dog and teach it to be a pointing dog? So I would say that would be the the one thing that I wish I'd maybe known or hadn't been quite so naive to is that um, that genetics are important, breeds are important, and there's a reason why people have spent centuries uh, developing the specific dogs that are out there, and not all dogs are created equal. So that was a good question. I think that I'm going to answer that one too. Okay. One thing that I wish I wait knew- wait wait grab that egg smash it on your head quick. No, I already know it's not raw. <laughs> Okie dokie. Um, One I, thing that you wish you knew. I wish that knowing where we wanted to take our breeding program and our training program now, that I had had the opportunity to go to a few more tests before starting training dogs to t- be test dogs. Um, I wish that I could have gone and watched a few more senior hunter, master hunter, AKC tests. Mm-hmm. I wish that I could have gone to a few more utility and UPT tests in Navda and had the opportunity to go to a few more invitationals, maybe even volunteer at them to get a little bit closer inside look at what some of that was going to look like so that I had a better idea of what I was prepping these dogs to do. Um, I've done a lot of hunting with dogs in the past, so I had that background, but I didn't necessarily have as much testing experience background. And the more that you can expose yourself to, learn, ask questions, watch multiple dogs run through these same tests so that you can see, hey, not all dogs are going to do well at the same things. Not all dogs are going to struggle with the same things. Um, some dogs really struggle with backing at the Invitational, whereas I went into the Invitational and I'd never even been concerned about my dog, how he was going to back because I'm like, my dog backs um, I was concerned with the blind because we didn't have a lot of water opportunities to train on, to prep for. I wasn't sure how to prep for that. So I went in going, I might not be able to pass at the blind. And that's where I failed <laughs> on the first one. So uh, not all dogs are going to excel at the same things. Not all dogs are going to fail at the same things. And just having a better idea of how those dogs um, perform at those tests and seeing all avenues of what's involved in a test would be what I wish that I had had a more open mind about. That's great. That's great. Uh, I believe it's your turn. See if she smashes the egg on her face. 16. Okie dokie. 16, 17, and, oops, this was, oh, and 14. So we're all in the double digits here. In the teens. 
You're not counting to 16, just smash I'm it. I'm just smashing it, I know. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I got it that time. I got well, it good. You asked for it. I, mean, I did been, ask for you've it. You've been wishing you got one of them to smash on yourself. How was that, honey? Well, it definitely didn't hurt as much as the uh, hard-boiled eggs, but it is disgusting and slimy. That was good. I, I wish we'd been filming that in slow motion. They'd be like, dun, 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 dun. I should have counted all the way to 16. There was good splashback. You got it all over me, too. Uh-huh. Yuck. Yuck. Do I have any more egg on my face? A uh, fair amount. <laughs> okay. In your hair. Oh, Isn't that supposed to be good for your hair? I think it's supposed to be good for your hair. I'm telling myself <laughs> that. I think okay. we're pretty safe then for the rest of them because that was egg number six, unless there is seven. <laughs> I And I can't remember. I, can't, I don't remember either. Okay. I think there might be seven. So sticky. What was that, It 16? gets better when it dries. Yeah, 16. Okay, 16. From Instagram, Whittle underscore Wendell. Whittle Wendell. When working with a breeder to match a puppy to the buyer, what is a good way to go about choosing a puppy out of the litter? Are you able to get an idea of the puppy's personality and level of hunt drive to match with what the buyer would like? Uh, That is a really good question. We actually, hold on, I'm so distracted by this slime. One second. You got it all over the microphone and everything. We'll clean them up after we're done here. Okay. Now I can focus. Um, Yes. We would say that listening to your breeder for recommendations on which puppy would be a good fit for you is your best bet because your breeder is who spent the last eight weeks with your puppy. You go to pick out your puppy at eight weeks old. You get to spend a few hours with that litter um, and you're not going to get an full view of what those puppies really are. They may be more tired that morning just because they've been running around and playing with their litter mates. And so you're like, oh, well, this puppy's the calmest because it's sleeping right now. And your breeder's going, "Mm mm-mm, that puppy's just been wearing itself out all morning, or I've been wearing that puppy out all morning just so that it would be a little more calm for the puppy send home. So listen to your breeder. They're going to have the most input on what those puppies truly are. Um, I I would add to that is just to almost be cautious of a breeder or a person that's selling dogs is like, yeah, just pick a puppy. They're all great. They're all the same. Yeah, which is not the case. Now, there's going to be some, like, they're going to say, these three are very similar. This one is definitely the most laid back. That one's definitely the wild child or something to that effect. But um, even to the point where, uh, you know, we're borderline moving to the point of assigning dogs to people to make sure that we can best match personalities and puppies to that. But right now we just make strong recommendations. So, And most of our puppy buyers are very willing to take those recommendations because they realize that we spend as much time with the puppies as we do and they want the puppy that's going to be the best fit for them. So I try and put less emphasis on color and look of the puppy and things like that and more on personality, um, temperament that's going to fit what the family says they're looking for. Absolutely. Go into it with an open mind. Don't get stuck on puppy pictures and you'll be a lot better off. Yeah. And also giving your breeder and yourself as much time as possible to help you make those suggestions and make your pick. Picking puppies at three days old is a terrible way to pick a puppy because they are all just cute little balls of fur that don't move around or do a whole lot at that point. That's all you get to go off of is color. And like we just said, you don't want to just go off of color. 
You want to get as much opportunity for the personality of those puppies to come through. And I would say puppies don't truly start showing a lot of that personality until four or five weeks old. And it just continues to develop between five and eight weeks. And we even see changes in puppies um, from eight to 12 weeks. Not that we keep a lot of puppies around until 12 weeks other than our personal puppies. I wouldn't say a ton of changes though. I'd say we were pretty- A little more change. Yeah, a little bit. I'd say we're pretty accurate. I mean, we've gotten, um, we had a really hard decision with one of our most recent litters that we kept a dog out of. And it came down to- you know, three specific dogs that we were trying to make a decision from. And those three dogs are exactly what I would have expected to see out of them. And they're all back in for training right now, which is something that we as breeders really love the opportunity is to get puppies from our program back in. So we can continue to evaluate them and see what that evaluation process and what our initial expectations of those puppies really turned out to be. Were we right or were we wrong on what we were thinking? And um, we're not always right, but we're pretty dang close most of the time. Yes. Yep. So that was a really good question. It's a really good question. All right. Next egg. Is it a hard boil? Ah. Egg salad. Egg salad. I didn't even look at what number it was. <laughs> 14. <laughs> Just full, full commit. Let's go. All right. It says, um, t- tello, tel- teleost fishing, something. I have a 13 week old. Sorry for butchering it. Just tell us how to spell it if you want, or say it if you want. I can spell it. It is spelled for you. <laughs> I think he's uh, hit himself egg. in the head with an egg yeah. way too much today. One, one too many eggs to the head. I have a 13-week-old poodle pointer and was recently told by an experienced dog trainer not to let your puppy play after training sessions because they absorb less of the training session and are less hungry for more training. Agree, disagree, thoughts. Now, I would say that um, there is some truth this to what This is what's, an interesting question. It is a very interesting question. I would say that there's some truth to it, but it kind of depends on the specific environment that the dog's in and everything else. I would say on a regular basis of, if I've got a puppy that I'm developing here, we don't, I'm not going to worry too much about, hey, we finished a training session, now I need to put them away so that they don't get to play or whatever else. I don't really see that, especially through the very early stages of development. You know, a lot of that, like we talked about, I think in the last video now, um, a lot of that we we do, it's fun, it's games, it's trying to build fun and Drive excitement. Drive and desire and around training. It is. Now, this is going to change a little bit based on personality. If you have a dog that lacks desire to work or lacks desire for the reward or doesn't want to train, then we have to build that. And it becomes, um, you know, that's where you can see a little bit of that and- we kind of take a tough love approach to the introductions with a puppy and it's we utilize food because we need something that dog's willing to work for and we build food drive and desire for many reasons um one of which a we've got a whole nother video about talking about the importance of feeding dogs it's uh it's in our hunting dog health series so definitely go to playlist check that out but um it's important to build desire around the food and we do that via your first session if the puppy loses interest after 10 or 15 or 20 reps or whatever it may be, then the remaining part of their meal goes away. We hold that for the next meal. A lot of the things that we've developed as far as training methods, um, I hate to say this, but it goes back to the way that my mom raised me as a kid. Okay. And I don't think your mom was a whole lot different, but it was, I hated oatmeal. Some people have heard me talk about this before. I mean, hated oatmeal. I think it's probably because of the way that my mom made it. Sorry, mom. Uh, you sucked at making oatmeal, but 
it was. But she made really darn good cookies. <laughs> yeah, she makes really good cookies. But um, you definitely didn't get a cookie if you didn't eat your oatmeal. So she would make the oatmeal, just old-fashioned oats, cook them on the stove, right? And then put this blob of oatmeal in the middle of the bowl and then put a little bit of cinnamon and sugar on top, which sounds like it would be a good idea. But then pour a cold moat. milk moat moat around the outside and so you got this like warm gooey grossness with the cold milk and And it turned into this gelatinous blob yes it's just gross and i would eat it like giant bites as fast as i could to get rid of it because if i didn't eat it it was going to be there for lunch and if i didn't eat it at lunch it was going to be there for dinner so eventually i was eating my oatmeal and uh, the sooner i just made the decision i'll eat the oatmeal and be done with this then I got over it. It's a similar thing with the puppies. The puppy says, ah, I'm not interested in that. Then you say, okay, well, we're going to hold it and you'll be more interested later because you're going to be hungry at your next meal for sure. And it only takes a day or two. And then you get a dog that's got a really strong desire to work and they're excited and driven to work. And that's important for dogs' brains. They are bred to work and they're happiest when they have purpose. And that purpose being toward the goals that we're trying to teach them is important. So. Otherwise, they'll find a purpose of their own, which won't necessarily be usually a good and purpose. Yeah. Um, and I would just say, I would say that um, not letting the puppy play before a training session would be more beneficial to me um, than after. Because so we've already, focused. Yeah, yeah, so they're more, fo- more focused. We've already accomplished what we wanted to in our training session. So if we want to play and have some fun afterwards, great. Um, but I want that puppy focused and ready to work when it comes to their training session, not burn out from playing them in the backyard or playing around in the house all morning, but now they are not ready to work because they're mentally and physically exhausted. I would say that even in our training program, when dogs are older and they come in, um, recess or, um, unstructured playtime is a very important part of that and developing a bold and confident dog. So definitely they need the playtime. Um, but it needs to be in the appropriate amounts of playtime at the appropriate amount of time or at the appropriate time of day. So. And supervised always. All right, Kat. Last question last for you. Last but not least, number There's number a good chance that 17. this egg is not hard-boiled. He's trying to psych me out. I just know it. Go, 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 go. Uh. Egg salad. Ow, 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 ow. Okay. Last question from Cimarron Shiflet. From Instagram, do you brush your dog's teeth or just give them bones? If so, what type? I have a year-old GSP, and everything I know is because of you guys. Been following your videos since I picked her up. Aww, awesome! That's awesome. Well, we hopefully d- you subscribe. Hopefully, <laughs> um, we do not brush our dog's teeth. Uh, yeah. First of all, we have ten dogs, and that would take a long time. I struggle just to get my son's teeth brushed. He's a wiggly little turd about that sometimes. So, no, we don't brush our dog's teeth. We do give them chew bones. We don't give them rawhides. Uh, I like the pet stages all wood chews because they are made of a compressed wood stick. They don't splinter, but the dogs really like to chew on them. They're really great about being abrasive and, you know, wearing that plaque off of their teeth. Uh, we use other bones. Some of the pork chomps uh, chews are great options. We even use just shank bones from beef. Um, raw marrow bones. So the key with those two, that raw marrow is really good for digestion and gut microbiome, but it needs to be introduced in small segments. Cause so it's really rich, really, really rich. And can, if their dog's not used to it, it can give them an upset stomach. So you'd go like chew on it for 10 minutes, take it away, 
the next day they get 10 minutes, take it away. So exactly. You can that, but, um, but no bones, we, pork chops. And then we have done some dentals with our dogs. If they're getting older and their teeth are getting a little more plaque and the bones just aren't quite enough, you know, a routine dental with your dentist is always your dentist, your veterinarian. <laughs> I don't think I've seen a dog at the dentist office, but with your veterinarian, routine dentals with your veterinarian would be a good option as well. Guys, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you've enjoyed this extra, extra, extra. special uh, Yawa edition. Um, if you have more questions, we will be at it again next week. And the next thing is, um, if you have other internet challenges that you want us to try out in these, we're happy to do it. Um, This is all for your entertainment as well as to help answer your questions. Thanks for watching. I'm Kat the Dog Trainer. And I'm the guy with the pink gun. And we will see you soon.